Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Most years, it's a good, a, a very entertaining game. But this one takes the cake. All those games, so much uncertainty, so many twists and turns as we navigate through a dizzying NFL season. And then the end of it looks awfully familiar to the end of the last one. The Kansas City Chiefs, the red and gold confetti falling at Allegiant Stadium as they win a second consecutive Super Bowl. Hi there. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I am Dave Hellman. And I'm having a bit of a case of deja vu. Just one year after downing the Philadelphia Eagles in a classic, the Kansas City Chiefs downed the San Francisco 49ers in another classic. I think a, a more epic, more entertaining, in my opinion, game than what we got last year. Super Bowl 58 concludes with the Kansas City Chiefs doing it again 25-22 to 22 in overtime. And yes, I will take this opportunity to point out that's awfully, awfully close to my pregame prediction of Chiefs 26, Niners 21. Sorry about it, but I just had to do it. But man, even, even in an age where the Super Bowl is, is great more often than not, and it really is, most years it's a, good, a, a very entertaining game. But this one takes the cake among recent ones, in my opinion, because it just... It had a little bit of everything. You had two fantastic defenses that were clearly keyed in on their game plans that knew what their opposition wanted. You had crucial special teams contributions. You realize the record for longest field goal in a Super Bowl was set twice on Sunday night, first by Jake Moody, then by Harrison Butker. A special teams gaffe kind of cued the Chiefs rally in the second half, a muffed punt by San Francisco. And then obviously the offenses took center stage down the stretch, just trading haymakers, field goal drive, field goal drive to get to overtime. Niners get all the way down to the red zone, field goal because the Chiefs force an incompletion on third down, that Steve Spagnolo defense coming through as it did so many times in this game. And of course, when the chips are down and when it matters most, you get a Super Bowl moment from Patrick Mahomes converting a fourth down in overtime, scrambling for 19 yards to really put them in control, and then a, an eerily similar play to last year's to a forgotten receiver. Of course, it was Nicole Hardman 
who was acquired in a trade with the New York Jets, brought back to his old team on October the 18th, caught 14 passes in the regular season. He had three catches for five yards going into this game. And of course it's him that redeems Patrick Mahomes' belief in this offense. Three catches, 57 yards, and the game-winning touchdown down there in the red zone to walk this thing off in overtime. Like I said, across all facets of this game, it was phenomenal all the way through. You, you had the offensive moments, and I guess call me a sucker for good defense, but what an entertaining chess match between 49ers defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes and Chiefs defensive coordinator Steve Spagnolo, the way they were able to dial up pressure, the way the Chiefs defense kept them alive in this game. And I think that that's another thing that's really going to stick with me is the way Spagnolo and his guys kept this thing in reach. You realize the 49ers went up 10-0 with a little less than five minutes to play before halftime. The Chiefs took the lead for the first time tail end of the third quarter. So you've got about 16 minutes of game time where the Niners were gunning to take a, a commanding lead, just gunning to, to really seize control of this thing. Patrick Mahomes throws a pick at the start of the third quarter. They've got a chance to go up two possessions in the second half and, and exert their control, and Spagnolo's defense just would not let them do it. Whether it's Chris Jones with six huge pressures, saved a couple touchdowns, Trent McDuffie everywhere, broke up a touchdown pass, had three breakups on the night, two quarterback hits to force incompletions. They kept them alive just long enough for Mahomes and Kelsey and Isaiah Pacheco to get things rolling. And I just, I love the beautiful symmetry of it all for this game. I think Mahomes himself on the post-game podium even called it a microcosm for the season. It's a frustrating game for the Chiefs, but when you've got that defense keeping you in it, and then when you've got number 15 to close the door at the end, it's a hell of a combination. And of course, in the big picture, when you get over how exhilarating a win it was, we can now look at legacy and the Kansas City Chiefs with the win officially become a dynasty. I said before the game, I already thought they were. You make it to six AFC championship games in a row and win multiple championships, I think it qualifies. It doesn't matter now. It's a moot point. By the definition of the word, they have officially become a dynasty. They are the fifth team in NFL history to win three Super Bowls in a five-year span. They're right up there with the the Patriots teams of, of recent years, the 90s Cowboys, the 70s Steelers, the 80s 49ers, and on and on and on. Andy Reid, the fifth head coach in NFL history to win three or more Super Bowls. Patrick Mahomes, the fifth quarterback in history to win three or more Super Bowls. And just the third to win three Super Bowl MVP awards. Keeping company with Tom Brady and Joe Montana, not a bad place to be. And that is, that's going to be the overarching theme coming out of this is the, this was supposed to be the Chiefs at their worst. I mean, we, are, we already had this conversation last year when the Chiefs did this. And then they got worse at receiver and worse at offensive tackle. They didn't get the number one seed in the AFC. They had to go on the road in the playoffs for the first time ever. They went through, according to the, the nerds who know this stuff, the toughest schedule by DVOA in playoff history, going on the road at Buffalo and at Baltimore before finally playing the NFC's number one seed. 
And this was, this was supposed to be the Chiefs team that you could get. This was the team that everybody else was like, this is our opportunity before Mahomes finds his next great receiver or before they draft any more defense, uh, defensive talent as if they need any more. And, and it ends in such a familiar fashion with the Chiefs hoisting the trophy, and now it's just a matter of how great can this get. For my money, I think Tom Brady is the only quarterback in NFL history that has an objectively better resume than Patrick Mahomes. Yes, Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers have won more MVP awards than he has, but the combination of now three Super Bowl championships as well as multiple MVPs, three Super Bowl MVPs, Brady's the only guy that, you, that, that still has a case statistically as definitively better between individual awards and obviously championships. But if you haven't heard it already, Patrick Mahomes just 28 years old. First back-to-back championships since the 03-04 Patriots with two Chiefs teams that not a lot of people were high on heading into those respective seasons. It's, it's truly mind-boggling, and I, I get it if you're not a Chiefs fan. I understand why you have Chiefs fatigue. But I hope you can just step back and appreciate what we're watching because even, even having just gotten done with the Patriots' run of dominance, the Chiefs are somehow making this look even easier. And that's with a Super Bowl loss built in. Remember, they did lose one to Brady. But even the Patriots didn't make it look this, I hate to say effortless, because I think you know how hard this season was on the Chiefs. But for it all to come together this way, it just it, it's hard not to imagine that during Patrick Mahomes' career, he's got several more of these left in him. I don't know if the Chiefs go for the three-peat. We can talk about that heading all through the 2024 offseason but they're always going to be in the mix as long as this guy's on the team. You see, if you're watching, you see the stats running across the scene. Patrick Mahomes, fifth double-digit comeback in the playoffs, second only to Tom Brady. Patrick Mahomes is already third in playoff wins with 15. He only trails Joe Montana and Brady. He only trails Montana by one, which is insane when you think about everything Joe Montana accomplished across his time with the 49ers just 28 years old. So you never know for sure how it's all going to play out, but this really feels, I hate to call it the beginning, but at the very least, it's, it's, only, it's only early days. Let's say it that way. The Chiefs, their third championship of the Patrick Mahomes era. I think this one is probably the sweetest, knowing the odds that they overcame. But I don't have to guess about that. We have our guys in Las Vegas. They've been there all week. We'll start with the winners. Ben Arthur's been embedded with the Chiefs, and I'd love to talk to him from the bowels of Allegiant Stadium about what this meant for this Kansas City team. Ben, just watching here from L.A., it felt like between the the comeback in the second half and then obviously we've talked for two weeks about how the Chiefs weren't supposed to be here, it felt like a lot of, of release there on that Chiefs roster. I mean, how geeked were these guys about, and I, I said it earlier, it felt like this might have been the most meaningful one of the championships that they've won. Was it, do you get that sense as well? Yeah, I, I definitely get that sense. Um, I was just in Andy Reid and, and Patrick Mahomes' press conferences and, and actually Patrick 
in, in particular, he, he said he, he didn't say like definitively that it was maybe the most like the biggest one. But but just because of like, as we know, like everything that they've been through this season offensively and, and the drops and, and the penalties and the miscues and, and all the frustration and and really grinding through a, a lot of wins, the, the, the defense really uh, a, a big reason why they were even able to get to this point. But but the offense really being able to just kind of hang on uh, for, for a good portion of the season. And, and Patrick Mahomes re- really talked about that, too. I, I mean, at this point, the, I guess they're kind of used to being on top now. But I think of just because of everything that they went through this season, that, that makes it more meaningful for them. And Mahomes, he, he definitely talked about that. What do you what do you think changed for them? And I mean, it never looked I wouldn't say it ever looked easy. The Niners made them scrap for it. But clearly from the time that that punt got muffed toward the end of the third quarter, they woke up in a way that allowed them to move the ball. They scored points on five of their final six possessions. What do you think changed that allowed them to get moving and, and score enough points to win this game? Yeah, I, I think it was a, a, a lot of things, Dave. I think kind of going back to the defense, the defense is, is a big reason why that they were able to, to do what they did. Because if you remember at the start of the game, they're just like moving. It seemed like they were just moving the ball up, up and down the field pretty easily. Uh, but, but they were able to he- keep them uh, to a lot of field goals, uh, really keep the point total down. Uh, like, you know, just even at the end of the fourth quarter, uh, just for, you know, Mahomes and the Chiefs to even get in field goal position to, to tie the game. Uh, at the end of regulation, and then also in, in overtime uh, to, to force that uh, Niners uh, field goal uh, to, you know, just set them up in a position to where they could score that winning touchdown. Um, and then obviously the, the muffed punt, as you said, Jalen Watson coming down with that, re- recovering that ball. Um, but I, I think it was really the defense kept them in the game long enough to where, like, to, to when they, it finally mattered like at the end like uh what was it at the end of the first half uh and then late in this game too where Mahomes is at his best I I think that's when uh it it all kind of started to click right like I think what I'm trying to say is like the defense uh really kept them in the the game it seemed like throughout the game and then it kind of in crunch time it, it almost seemed like they handed the reins to Mahomes to finish the deal and then traffic Travis Kelsey too uh, we know how special their connection is. He and, and uh, Patrick Mahomes only having one catch on, on one target for one yard in the first half and then erupting uh, in the second half. And, and and so I think it really just goes back to like the defense and the offense playing kind of with each other, like the defense kind of holding down the fort until crunch time when Mahomes, Travis Kelsey and the offense was able to do just enough uh, to beat uh, this obviously a super talented uh, 49ers team. I definitely wanted to make sure we gave the defense their shine. And, like, I mean, if you look at this on paper, like, Brock Purdy played well on Sunday night. Christian McCaffrey had 160 all-purpose yards and a touchdown. The Niners had some of the success that we thought they would, but it just felt like whether it's Chris Jones, whether it's Trent McDuffie, whether it's George Karloftis, the Chiefs always had the right play at the right time what did you hear in the post game about the game plan that they had and, and what enabled them to get those key stops when they needed to? Yeah, I, I think we heard like a lot of credit for uh, the defense for, for Spags, right? Like 
I know that we've talked about Spags uh, on the show a, a couple times, but uh, just kind of kind of those really smart play calls in, in, in certain situations. Like I, I think, what was it at the end of, I want to say at the end of regulation, uh, when it, it was when he kind of like dialed up a pressure for uh, Trent McDuffie to, to blitz from the slot. Uh, and and I'm kind of spacing. It was either the 49ers last drive uh, of the fir- of the fourth quarter or uh, th- their last drive in overtime. But but it was one of those situations uh, where that blitz uh, came. And, and I think it was things like that where uh, just a lot of splash plays like we like in the beginning of the game. As I said, like uh, the Niners were able to move the ball pretty well. But even amid that, like they they had some really great splash plays like it was Trent McDuffie's uh pass breakup in the end zone I think Purdy was targeting Debo Samuel that was uh, early in the game it was uh you know a tackle for loss a couple tackles for loss it was uh Chris uh Chris Jones coming up big in the interior with the pass rush there uh it, it didn't always look pretty like like for the defense right at, at times I think especially early in the game uh, the 49ers were able to move the ball, but but I think in the biggest moments, the Chiefs were able to depend on their defense. And, and like I said, like just with those red zone stops at the end, giving the ball back to Mahomes to to put them in a chance to win the game, whether it was setting up that uh, field goal drive at the end of regulation or just the the uh, touchdown drive in overtime, um, I think. Just them, Spags, starting with Spags, but really coming up in big moments throughout the game, but but really kind of putting the cherry on top at, at the end of the game. Uh, I, I think that really stands out to me. I'm, I'm going to remember those two sequences for a long time. It was it was McDuffie getting the pressure that that drew the incompletion at the two-minute warning. If he doesn't get yeah, that, that the, right. the, I mean, the Niners can, can run the clock down and take a very late lead. And then it was Chris Jones forcing incomplete in overtime. If those two pressures don't happen, I don't think the Chiefs win this game. It's it's crazy the margins in these moments, and the Chiefs always seem to make those plays when they matter. One last one for you, and I don't think any of us bought the speculation to begin with, but it doesn't sound like Andy Reid's going anywhere. It doesn't sound like Travis Kelsey's going anywhere. So, you know, maybe I can just go ahead and expect to be watching these guys in New Orleans next year. <laughs> Yeah, it, it certainly feels like that, right? Especially just in the immediate math, aftermath of the game. Travis Kelsey post game saying, uh, I, I think he said he, he wants to like three peat, go for the three peat. And Andy Reid at the end, very end of his press conference saying, like, yeah, I, I'm coming back. Like it wasn't even much of a thought out response. It was like, it, it, it's not even like a, a question. Like th- these guys want to run it back. And uh, I think if they could just kind of add more to that offense, right. And I know we've talked about this on the pod, Dave, but they add more to that offense. If they were able to win the Super Bowl with the offense that they had, uh, just, we know some of the deficiencies that they had, particularly at wide receiver, continuing to kind of bolster that room around uh, Rasheed Rice and and Travis Kelsey, who still has a lot left in the tank and a defense that's just going to continue to ascend. This was the youngest defense in the NFL. uh, and, And they were number two in, and uh, total yards allowed, number two in scoring defense. This is a defense that can only ascend, it feels like, right? Assuming uh, health and then just even more reinforcements, depth added in, in the offseason. And so they're, they're going to be primed once again uh, to, to, to be back in the Super Bowl to, to try to three-peat. So uh, 
uh, at this point, uh, we, we really, I, I don't know what to say to you. Like if, if you're like discounting the chiefs at this point, it, it just seems like they're inevitable. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, uh, three, three Super Bowls now in, in five years. And, and it doesn't seem like it's slowing down for them. This is, a dynasty at this point. Yeah, you would have to drag me off that ride. Like, I'm not getting off that ride willingly when Patrick Mahomes is 28 years old. And they're going to have to figure out what to do with Chris Jones. I get it. There's stuff they got to figure out. But, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and assume that next year's Chiefs team will at least be as good, if not better, than the one that just won this Super Bowl. So we will see how it goes. Ben... You've been such an MVP for us all this week, all this year. I tell you this all the time, but I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, man. Please uh, go get some well-earned rest. I'm sure you're tired. Yeah, I will. I've got some more <laughs> writing to do, but I, I will certainly do that after I get wrapped up here. Uh, but, but thanks again, as always, Dave. All right, man. Take care. Final game of the season means the final coaching spotlight of the year, and we actually had so many good candidates to choose from. Obviously, Andy Reid winning his third Super Bowl in Kansas City. I'm going to give a shout-out to Steve Wilkes, San Francisco defensive coordinator. Wonderful game plan that he put together. But there's only one place for me to go here, and it's a guy that I think is slowly making a case as one of the best assistants in NFL history. We're going to spotlight Steve Spagnolo. Today's Coaching Spotlight is brought to you by Verizon. It's the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach-to-coach communication. And how about Steve Spagnolo's communication with his guys? I don't know. That was... A lame attempt at a pun, I guess, but I'm so impressed by the job that the Kansas City Chiefs defense has done. We know they've been good all year, but it's only now starting to hit me just what a run we've seen from the Chiefs here over the last month. Do you realize the Chiefs, the totality of their playoff performance, their four postseason opponent opponents were the number one through four teams in offensive DVOA this year. They played the number two overall Miami Dolphins, one of the most high-flying offenses in the NFL. Number three, Buffalo Bills, led by Josh Allen and all of his touchdowns. Number four, the Baltimore Ravens with the MVP, Lamar Jackson. And the coup de grace was the number one offense in the NFL, the San Francisco 49ers. Spags and his boys held those four teams to 15.8 points per game. Just about two touchdowns per game. That's what you're allowing to some of the most intimidating offenses in the NFL. And like I said, no challenge steeper than the San Francisco 49ers. And the Chiefs, by 49ers standards, shut them down. Their sixth lowest point total of the season, 22 points. Their seventh lowest yardage output held them to less than 400 yards in a game that went to overtime. So it's an entire extra overtime scoring possession. They still don't get to 400 yards. An amazing performance. We talked about this with Ben already, but I just hope the contributions of this defense don't get lost in the shuffle of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid's greatness. And all of that's still true. Those guys are great. But think about the plays this defense made to keep the Chiefs in the game. George Karloftis recovers a fumble on the first possession of the game to keep the Niners from taking an early lead. Trent McDuffie breaks up a Debo Samuel touchdown in the end zone to start the second quarter. Trent McDuffie made about six plays in this game. It's a shame he drew the defensive holding flag, which I thought was kind of ticky-tack in overtime, because I think they would never give it to him because that's just not how this stuff works. I think Trent McDuffie had a case 
for Super Bowl MVP. Three pass breakups, broke up a touchdown, forced the incompletion on third and five at the end of regulation. If the Niners pick that up, remember, Andy Reid very strangely used an early timeout in the second half. If the Niners pick that up, they could potentially run the clock all the way down and win this game in regulation with a field goal. Trent McDuffie was phenomenal. Really, the entire Chiefs secondary was phenomenal, not letting a single 49ers pass catcher truly take over this game. Brandon Ayuk had some moments. Debo Samuel had some moments, but they were not able to dominate, particularly over the middle of the field, the way that we've gotten so used to seeing the Niners do. Christian McCaffrey, it looked like in the first on the first possession of this game, it looked like McCaffrey was going to do whatever he wanted all day long. And yeah, he ran for 80 yards, but at the end of the day, he averaged 3.6 yards per carry. You're going to take that every single time. The Niners running for just 110 yards as a team. That was the big deficiency of this Chiefs defense was stopping the run. Didn't look like a problem for them on Sunday night. And how could I forget Chris Jones? I'm going to bring him up as often as I need to as well because he once again did not log a Super Bowl sack. He's never gotten all the way home in a Super Bowl, but you're not paying attention if you're not seeing the impact that this guy has. Multiple quarterback hits in this game, led the team with six pressures. By my count, between the third down and overtime that forced an incompletion, and another one where Brandon Ayuk came open over the middle of the field, Chris Jones' pressures saved at least two, if not three, potential touchdowns in this game. That's the difference between San Francisco finishing with 22 points instead of potentially, I don't know, 31, and winning this game because the Chiefs' offense took too long to get into gear. He finished with no sacks in this game, four tackles, two quarterback hits, and yet I'm telling you, when he hits free agency here in about a month, he is going to be worth every penny of the insane contract that he gets, whether it's with the Chiefs, whether it's with another team, I'm not sure. But outside of Aaron Donald, there might not be a more impactful single defender in the NFL. Came up big. Spagnolo's guys came up big. They just hung in there. That stretch in the third quarter where they just turned the Niners away. And yeah, maybe Kyle Shanahan should have been a little bit more committed to the run there. But three straight three and outs in the third quarter to keep this thing close. And then Mahomes and Kelsey get it going, and it's a whole different ballgame. But the defense needed to do its part first. 22 points, and that's with overtime as well. So less than 20 points in regulation. Shut down Lamar and the Ravens. Maybe didn't shut down Josh Allen and the Bills, but held them down enough to get the win. Shut down the Miami Dolphins. It's an incredible run. It's Spagnuolo's fourth Super Bowl championship. He's won three now with the Chiefs. He's been there for this entire dynasty. And the other Super Bowl might have been his masterpiece, holding the, the 17-0, the 18-0, whatever they were, the undefeated New England Patriots, to just 14 points back in 2007 to help the Giants get that championship. Think about those accomplishments. Think about the moments in NFL history that Steve Spagnuolo has been a part of. One of the, the greatest, most surprising and impressive upsets in league history, and now his defense is a foundational piece of our most recent dynasty. The guy's a beast is what I'm trying to say. In Spags, we trust. I'm curious to see if he gets a second act as a head coach it's not going to be for lack of a spotlight. He's deserving of every bit of it. He is a big part of why the Kansas City Chiefs are back-to-back -back champions.
There's obviously another side to this story apart from the chief's heroism, and it's also a familiar one. It's a Kyle Shanahan team not taking advantage of opportunities in the second half of a big spot. The 49ers lose. Kyle Shanahan falls to 0-2 as a head coach in the Super Bowl. 0-3 when you remember his stint as the Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator. That feels pertinent just because he's the guy calling the plays. His team has had a double-digit lead in the second half of all three of those games and failed to come away with a win. This is This feels about as demoralizing as a Super Bowl loss can be. And I get it. They all are. But this this dance with greatness in San Francisco has been going on for quite a while, and it comes up short one more time. It was the NFC Championship game last year, the injury to Brock Purdy. You had all of this, this reason to believe that this year could be better if Purdy came back, and he did. He played so phenomenally all season. He was wonderful in this game, I thought. Definitely not a gaudy day, but just so many clutch plays delivering when it didn't look like he would be able to time and time again. Definitely not the reason why they lost, but they do still fall short. And you you look at this roster, it's like the Thanos gauntlet of amazing players. It's all possible because your quarterback is so cheap. You have all pros all over the field. You had a 10-point lead in the second quarter of this game. You had two chances at the end of regulation and even in overtime to put your stamp on this thing and put the Chiefs away. They just couldn't do it. And if not now, then when? If this team can't do it, if this souped-up 49ers team can't beat this flawed Chiefs team, when will they? It didn't happen in 2019 when they had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. That team was nowhere near as good as this team. All of those players hung around. Bosa and Debo were rookies back then. They're fully formed guys now. You add Brandon Ayuk to the mix. You've got Fred Warner at the peak of his powers. You've got Christian McCaffrey at the peak of his powers. How long will that go on? How much longer will you be able to afford all of these guys? Fortunately, the Niners will be able to run it back with most of this same cast. Not a lot to worry about in the term in in terms of offseason losses. But this team couldn't quite get over the hump against a, a team that they were favored to beat, against a team that you look at and say, other than the quarterback, where aren't we better? But it turns out that sometimes, even though this is the ultimate team game, having that difference at quarterback can be all that matters. I don't envy the way that Kyle Shanahan and his players must be feeling right now because it must just feel insurmountable if you're a Niners fan I get it you win your first five Super Bowls in team history you're now on a three game skid they lost in 2012 2019 and now 2023 all of them heartbreaking in their own way all of them really coming down to the buzzer I don't know where you go from here maybe our guy Ralph Vacchiano can help us figure it out he's been embedded with the Niners in Vegas all week have a chance to catch up with him now about where the Niners go from here. Ralph, I definitely want to get to the actual game in a minute, but you were there for post game with the 49ers. And my main thing right now is I just, I can't get over how dejecting this must be, how demoralizing this must be for the 49ers to once again be this close and come up short. What, what was the mood there? Did it reflect that afterward? Yeah, I mean, obviously they're dejected and they're sad, but, uh, you know, the guys who had been there before 
were focused on the fact that, you know, this is the fourth time that they've, you know, been close to obviously times they lost in the Super Bowl, two times they lost in the NFC Championship game. And the, they understand that there's only so many times where you can knock on that door and not answer it, not go win a championship. And, you know, it, I think um, Nick Bozo was talking about how early on, you know, you could say, okay, actually it was Eric, Ar- Eric Armstead that was talking about how, you know, earlier in his career, they had these opportunities. You can say, okay, well, we'll be back next year. It'll be the same. We're a growing team. They're not a growing team anymore. They're veterans who have been there, failed, and who knows if they'll ever go back. You know, teams don't usually get this many chances, and they they, they understand that. They feel like they really blew what might have been their window. Yeah, I mean, I get it. It's hard not to feel that way. Well, obviously, we'll see where it goes. But as for the game itself, I I keep harping on the sequence in the third quarter. And I get it's it's easy to split hairs, but it, it did feel like holding a lead and, you know, they get an interception in Chiefs territory. They had so many opportunities there in the third quarter to really try to take control and they weren't able to do it. What what wasn't working for them in those opportunities as they tried to really take a, a commanding lead there? Yeah, I mean, they had three straight three and outs to open up the third quarter. Uh, and even the defense really kept, you know, like I said, giving them shots. They didn't give up a touchdown until late. And that was obviously, you know, off the a muffed punt that was bouncing off somebody's leg. Uh, you know, the offense just seemed to kind of shut down a little bit. Purdy was under pressure a lot more than he was in the first half. Steve Spagnuolo really dialed up uh, some excellent defense in the second half, and the 49ers didn't handle it well. They couldn't get guys open. Uh, Purdy didn't have time to make the throws. And even Christian McCaffrey in the few runs that he had in those those series wasn't going as well as he was in the first half. So, you know, I kind of give a lot of credit to the Chiefs' defense and the 49ers' sort of failure to adjust. Um, you know, and the way they looked at it, yeah, that was a big one that they had those three three and outs, and that certainly hurt. But their bigger issue was they felt like they should have been up a lot more earlier, that they blew opportunities in the first half, too, even though they had a lead. So when they got into trouble like they did, they just didn't have the cushion to withstand it. They knew at some point they would struggle. And but when it happened, it was just the game was too close and they ended up blowing it. So many missed opportunities between, yeah, that sequence of three and outs, the fumble on the first possession. Who knows how the game changes yeah. if you get points there. I am I, One thing I think is worth mentioning, and I apologize if it sounds like I'm making excuses, but it does feel noteworthy that they lose Dre Greenlaw relatively early in this game to an Achilles injury. I know Debo Samuel returned from the hamstring injury, but I'm sure that was bothering him. Did it feel like you know, have losing at least one player of that caliber and then even potentially losing some of Debo's explosiveness. It feel like it took any juice out of this team. Maybe a little, it's sort of hard to say with Debo because he did come back and I'm sure he was limited after he did come back. I have to kind of, you know, dig a little bit more into the tape to know for sure how limited he was. Uh, the green law injury hurt in fairness to them. You know, we talked to a couple of players about that after the game and they said, well, you know, th- there's a chance when you lose a player like that that there could be a momentum shift. You feel his loss because he's such a good linebacker. But up until the fourth quarter, they still played well without him. You know, they still got the offense opportunities to put the game away. They still really, really up until those final two minutes, you could argue they kept Patrick Mahomes in check about as well as you can expect in a game like this, even without Greenlaw. Just eventually it wore down. Eventually, if you've got a team where you're giving them so many opportunities and it's Patrick Mahomes and it's 
Andy Reid and the Chiefs and you're a little shorthanded on defense, eventually it's not going to go right. So whether it was a loss of one guy, I don't know. But, uh, you know, they felt it that they were just able to withstand it up until a point. I assume it's going to be a while before anybody with the 49ers is looking too hard for a silver lining. But if you want one, maybe it's at least the fact that I I thought Brock Purdy was pretty damn good in this game for the moment, for the stakes. You know, at the very least, you look at this and say, hey, this guy is not the reason why we didn't win this game. At least I don't think that's the case. Well, I do agree with that. But I tell you what, we talked about this in one of our preview shows. What was really evident to me in the fourth quarter and overtime is that while Brock Purdy is good enough to win a championship with a team, Patrick Mahomes can go out and win one by himself. So there is a (laughs) gaping gap between those two quarterbacks. And, you know, I think that the 49ers are a really good team. Brock Purdy did not hold them back, but he did not put them over the top, which is a question they've got to grapple with. You know, maybe it's good enough for them. Maybe that, you know, maybe he can become that quarterback, but he's not yet to me that special elite quarterback where you say, we've got him. We know he's going to make something happen in the fourth quarter and overtime because he didn't, you know, he had a couple of chances to make plays. They ended up with field goals instead of touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes, raced him downfield. He, I think they should have taken one more shot at the end zone at the end of regulation. But, you know, in overtime, he found ways to make plays on fourth and one with his legs, on third and one with his legs. Obviously, the touchdown pass. Purdy wasn't making those kind of plays when you needed it the most. Patrick Mahomes is a championship quarterback, and maybe that's what the 49ers are missing. I mean, I was thinking about our segment on the preview show all night because it played out exactly that way. Look, I, I've said it a million times on this show. Mahomes got a lot of help from his defense, but yeah. this is the case of perfect roster, good quarterback versus good roster, perfect quarterback. And that's why it, it's got to be so demoralizing for San Francisco to see how much they have and yet still be lacking. And it, it feels like yeah. the type of thing that could linger a little bit, knowing that you can be this close, and if you don't have a number 15 in your lineup, you still might not win. Right, and, and you know, they, they felt it. They felt the difference because all of them talked about how, man, when you've got Patrick Mahomes on the other side, you can't let them hang around. I guarantee you the Chiefs defense wasn't thinking, wow, we can't let Brock Purdy hang around. He's not the kind of guy you worry about like that. So, you know, again, it's a decision that they have to make organizationally. Do they can they win a championship with Brock Purdy? Yes, with that team, obviously they were close. Uh, you know, they they had a lead in overtime. You can't get any closer than that. But can he go out and win you one? I don't think so. I haven't seen that. And you know, that's that's for them to decide. Well, is that enough, or do we need to go find a number fifteen or you know a, that kind of special quarterback? It's a really tough call because you know there aren't thirty two good NFL quarterbacks. Brock Purdy is one of them. He's just not on that level. And, you know, when you get to that level of those top five or top six, you know, those are the guys that you dream about that, you know, win you championships. It's the ultimate catch 22. Like I, you know, there's not more than one or two teams in the league that wouldn't want to swap places with the success that the 49ers have had. Same thing with Kyle Shanahan. There's, there's not more than a handful of coaches you'd rather have than Kyle Shanahan. Second most wins among active coaches without a Super Bowl championship, but it's brutal to get this late in the game and, and come up so short. And yeah, I, I, I don't know what they do. I would imagine they probably run it back with this same cast of characters They're They seem pretty well set up for next season, but 
I just have a feeling that's that's going to be lingering in the head of everybody in that building and and every fan that follows that team. It's you know they got it good compared to a lot of people, but it, it's a tough yep. place to be as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, look, there's no indication that they would move on from Brock Purdy. They're going to try to keep this team together. They got close. They think they can get close again, make another run. But you know, they know there's no guarantees. They've got to figure out what went wrong. Um, and it's a hard thing to say. I mean, again. They led in overtime of the Super Bowl. There is no getting closer than that to winning a championship. And, uh, you know, they're going to look at this team. And there's going to be a lot of things they like about it, but something clearly was missing. They couldn't put them over the top. They just have to figure out what that was. Well, we will see what they do moving forward. But, Ralph, man, I told Ben the same thing. It's It's been so great talking to you all week. It's been so great talking to you all season. I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. We'll get, you know, we'll get all the free agency and draft stuff revved up. But, yeah. Enjoy, uh, enjoy some well-earned rest, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks again. My pleasure, David. Anytime. All right. I think that does it for game coverage, at least for tonight. Congrats again to the Kansas City Chiefs. A familiar finish to a fun season. We'll have more Super Bowl coverage coming later this week. Plenty more to get into from that. But the cool thing about the NFL is that hope springs eternal. It's the most parody-driven league in American sports. Everybody's got a chance every year. And we are officially now at O and O for every team in the NFL. So to close out the show, what better way to do it than to make everybody mad? We'll take a very, very, very early look at the top of the power rankings as it looks right now. I understand the challenge that's ahead of me here. Free agency hasn't happened. The NFL draft feels like it's light years away. So much is going to change in the coming months about what every team in the league looks like. But the day after the Super Bowl, with the confetti still sitting on the field in Las Vegas, let's just take a look at what it might look like. So here is my way, way too early top 10 for the 2024 season. I'm going to start it down at number 10 with the LA Rams. What a journey we've been on. A team that was written off at the start of this season. Turns out when you nail some draft classes... Things can go pretty well. Not only did this team make the playoffs, but most of their of their talent is very young and under contract. You got a whole bunch of young players surrounding stars like Aaron Donald, Matt Stafford, and Cooper Cup. Go out, find some more guys. Go find another, another Puka Nakua. Go find some help on that defense. Will the Rams use their first-round draft pick for the first time in an eternity? Cannot wait to see how it goes, but this team is positioned to make a big jump in 2024 at number nine a much more veteran team but a very talented team the Cleveland Browns not the way they wanted it to go in the playoffs but clearly the talent is all there they've got the defensive player of the year they've got the coach of the year they've got studs on offense how well will Nick Chubb recover from a very very major injury I think that's the big question there or the second biggest question anyway, because obviously it's all going to hinge on getting better production out of Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be Joe Flacco in 2024 with the money that they have committed to Deshaun Watson. So we will see how he justifies that contract, but you can't deny the amount of talent in Cleveland on both sides of the ball. At number eight, I don't even want to bring him up. It's my Dallas Cowboys, the team that I am forever linked to. It is a crossroads year in Dallas that clearly the talent is top 10. Most of their key players are under contract. They got to figure out 
what to do with guys like Tyron Smith, but but the stars are all there. Mike McCarthy's in the final year of his deal. How hard do they push to try to get over the hump? Do they extend Dak Prescott? Laugh if you want to, but that's probably their best bet to improving the talent on a team that fell woefully short. So I get it. Do they deserve such a lofty ranking when they've fallen so short in the playoffs? I don't know, but the talent's there. I just want to see how willing the Cowboys are to push their chips into the middle of the table. At number seven, I feel like this might be controversial, but I've got the Philadelphia Eagles. And yes, I know the Cowboys won the division. The Cowboys spanked the Eagles in December, but I'm not closing the book on the Eagles roster. It is incredibly talented. They've got the pieces that they need. I'm curious to see what happens with Jason Kelsey, whether he actually retires. They do have a few interesting free agents. They've, they're getting older. They're getting a little long in the tooth, but you still have a very impressive nucleus with those receivers, with Jalen Hurts, Dallas Goddard, and even if they lose Kelsey, a very above-average offensive line. Obviously, Nick Sirianni is not playing around either. They went and got Kellen Moore and Vic Fangio to fix their coordinator problems. People are going to be dunking on the Eagles for a while because of the way their season finished, but I expect them to be right back at the top of the NFC in the mix to make a deep run in the playoffs once again. At number six, I've got the Buffalo Bills. It's just it's a testament to how I feel about Josh Allen that they're this high because, honestly, it, it kind of looks like a mess. They got a lot of salary cap situations to figure out. The defense is old and it is injured what do you, I mean, Matt Milano and Tredavious White coming back from injury. What does Von Miller have left in the tank? How does Sean McDermott consolidate everything on the defensive side of the ball? What about any potential drama with Stephon Diggs? It's the story that just won't go away. Is he going to be a Buffalo Bill this year? I would assume he is, but it seems like that drama is going to linger around this team for the rest of his time there. But if you got number 17, you got a chance. The dude was a one-man wrecking crew this year, even with the turnovers. I like the Bills as long as Josh Allen plays for them. At number five, Baltimore Ravens, of course, the number one seed from this season. And maybe this feels low, but I do think this year is going to be a tough reminder for the Ravens of the cost of success in the NFL. They've already lost their all-star defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald. He's the head coach in Seattle now. But on top of that, I think you're going to see key pieces of this team get rewarded for their success. Can the Ravens afford to keep Justin Matabuke? What about Patrick Queen? the all-pro linebacker next to Roquan Smith. What about Geno Stone? Not even a starter, but he had so many interceptions. He's bound to get paid like one by somebody. There's going to be attrition in Baltimore, but you do have a two-time MVP in Lamar Jackson. That makes you feel a hell of a lot better. I think the Ravens are going to be just fine, but this is the price of success, and that's why it is so hard to sustain runs like the Chiefs have. At number four, I'm just going to keep driving the bandwagon. I did it in 2023, and it worked out well. I've got the Green Bay Packers all the way up at four. I was high on this team before I knew Jordan Love was that dude. Picked them to go nine and eight this year. So, of course, I'm even more excited now. You got Jordan Love right, raising his game to another level. You got his young pass catching core coming right alongside with him. Aaron Jones is going to hang around for another year. Feel great about the offense. And now they get a chance to revamp that defense. Yeah, they do have some cap space issues, but I think they can solve most of that pretty easily, in all honesty. And you get a new defensive coordinator in there, a chance to harness all that talent. I just, I feel so good about where this te young team is going. 
Maybe I'll regret it later, but I really don't think so. At number three, I said this before the Super Bowl, the only teams that feel better than the Detroit Lions were the ones that played this weekend. The Lions got so close to playing in Super Bowl 58, just a couple of plays away from beating San Francisco, and they're kind of running it back. Yeah, a couple minor free agency issues to figure out, Jonah Jackson, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, but these are things that you can deal with, particularly when you realize the Lions, even with all the talent on their roster, they have $50 million in cap space. They could free up even more if they're willing to extend Jared Goff this year. So you can re-sign some of your stars, maybe go play in free agency a little bit. And turns out Brad Holmes knows a thing or two about drafting guys as well. I think the Lions have a real chance to be even better than the team that was oh so close to the Super Bowl. Maybe we'll be talking about them this time next year. And then obviously the top two shouldn't be surprising. At two, I've got the San Francisco 49ers. You could make a case for them to be one just because they're bringing the whole squad back. They're not really losing much in the way of meaningful contributors. That is the joy of having a cheap quarterback on a rookie deal. You can keep all these stars in place. You look at it on paper and you say, yeah, this is the most complete team in the NFL. Right up until you remember that they just lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. And that is why the Chiefs are in the one spot on paper, I, I, you can't really say you see it. They got to figure out what to do with Chris Jones. Can they afford to pay him? I lean toward no. You got to figure out what to do about Legereus Sneed, one of their best DBs. There's probably going to be some attrition here. But if this team just won the Super Bowl, how can I bet against them? First back-to-back -back champs in almost two decades. However it shakes out, whoever they lose and whoever they gain, it's hard to pick against a team that has Patrick Mahomes. So... Even if they're flawed, we already know they can be pretty damn good when they are. So, yeah, I feel perfectly comfortable keeping the Chiefs at number one heading into another year as they seek a three-peat. Sounds crazy, but in the era of Patrick Mahomes, maybe not. All right. That is the way too early top 10. It's going to change so much. Texans fans, don't be mad at me. I almost put you on the list, but there are a lot of free agent issues to figure out there in Houston. A lot of that cast could, could be on the move. We'll see how it goes. It's, it's all going to change. It's February, guys. Free agency is about a month away. It's going to be so much fun tracking how these teams very, handle their various issues, and I will be here to help you all walk through all of it. But the season is finally and truly over. No more football left to play until training camp rolls around. It's bittersweet. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm pretty tired, but I also I love this. I never get tired of talking football. I never get tired of doing this show. If you've been on this ride with me all year, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. If you're new to the show, I hope you stick around because there is no offseason in the NFL. I promise you that between the combine and free agency, it's all going to get started in a big way very, very soon. So don't let your guard down just because the games are done. We certainly won't. In the meantime, you know the drill. You're still going to want to be subscribed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get your NFL news. We will be there. We're, we're probably going to take a short break here coming up in a little bit, but don't worry. It won't be for too long. We will have you covered all through, through the offseason as we get ready for Super Bowl 59, which is on Fox, by the way. So, yeah, you're going to want to stay tuned. Once again, I appreciate it so, so much, y'all. I'll talk to you soon.